Welcome to Andy Matterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing the sixth episode of Star Trek Picard Season 2, Two of One. So first let's talk about the casting announcement. Yes, because that came first. And and because I think it might colour some of our discussion. Most definitely. They announced on... Uh, first contact day that (laughs) season three of star trek picard is going to feature the rest of the cast of the next generation jonathan frakes marina sirtis brent spiner gates mcfadden michael dorn and lavar burton and i think the internet lost its shit i gave myself a whole 24 hours to have a massive amount of joy before i started thinking this show is already a mess that's not serving its regular characters and now we're just going to add seven i can't count but add a considerable number more and they're probably going to overshadow the characters we've got plus it's like brent spiner has been in every season did we have to bring him back Watching every episode for just a sliver of Beverly's presence is traditionally how I've watched The Next Generation going back to childhood. Uh, It's only in adulthood that I came to appreciate the other characters. But a part of me resents that it's going to happen again. (laughs) It's uh, it's tradition, like you said. That's that's, uh, how it goes. But, but remember how I said when we were talking about if there was go- even going to be a season three mm. of, of Picard, and I said that it seemed more uh, more likely that there would be a spinoff yes. with the non-Picard Picard characters. And I feel like that could still happen, that this final season could have... The Next Generation crew, when it's their last hurrah and Picard's last hurrah, and then some of the characters that have been introduced for Picard will at least be marginally involved. I mean, I have like ridiculous theories now. And then if uh, going afterwards, Picard would end and a different show could begin with some of these new characters or, you know, they could live on. I think that is very plausible. And at the time this idea first came up, we were talking about Star Trek La Serena. And now I think it looks more like it will be Star Trek Stargazer, which Correct. is not, not quite what I wanted. But I would not be at all sorry to have Rafi and Rios, or just one of them, uh, commanding a ship. And we'll talk about which one of them we think it is later on. So, yeah, I'm happy. I'm also wary. I also feel like the Beverly problem of season two just got a whole lot magnified. <laughs> yes, that, that is my main issue, is the Beverly problem of season, season two, which we will talk about in a moment. Again. The only other thing I want to say is that there was a, a tweet from Terry Metalis and he said something like, there'll be lots of ships. And so <laughs> I, I just really want everybody to be a captain <laughs> and have their own ship. And just like a convergence of, you know, it's the, it's the crew, but it's actually a fleet. <laughs> but, you know, most of all, I would want Beverly to have her, her uh, pasture. That would make me the happiest. 
Honestly, I agree. There is obviously nothing wrong with Beverly staying a doctor, but for decades she has been the chief medical officer on the flagship and she was the chief of Starfleet Medical and then gave it up to go back to the Enterprise. And I feel like it's not a problem if she's professionally stagnant, like stagnating at the peak of your career is pretty amazing, but she seems like a person who would appreciate new challenges and I think her own ship would give her that. And I feel like a lot of late Next Generation was sort of building up to that unintentionally because they didn't know that ARCS exists. Mm. But the other thing, when Terry Metalis said there were lots of ships, I knew he was talking about starships because he seems like a very starship-focused showrunner. Yes. <laughs> but also lots of OTPs is something I can get behind. Let's talk about this very short episode of Picard. And I'm going to say something that is going to be controversial to everyone except oh. you and I. Oh, okay. <laughs> As always, I watch Picard and Good Sam the same day. And this is embarrassing to say, but I think we've reached a point where Good Sam is the better show. Because on the one hand, you have a show with an inherently silly premise that is telling its stories competently and carefully balancing a fairly complicated ensemble. And on the other mm. hand, you have a show where Brent Spiner is running down Picard in a Tesla. You know what? It's not a terrible comparison because both of them were two-parters as well. Mm. And I know that, like, you know, Picard is sort of a ten-parter, but definitely last week and this week, there was like a cliffhanger at the end of last week and and it, it it resolves in this episode with the party that you know the party goes over both just as the accident goes over both and the storm with a good sam so <laughs> it, i realize this is very liz tell us you watch two shows energy but i watch <laughs> like four or five shows for the record but these are the ones that come out on the same day and are from the same parent company and mm -hmm. there is a compatibility between them and not just because of Jason Isaac's presence like something about Good Sam gives me 90s Trek vibes yeah it is a very TNG show isn't it like, yeah yeah that's the vibe yeah so I, I enjoyed this episode I thought this was a lot of fun it was just ridiculous mm. mostly and that I just enjoyed the ridiculous you know, Rios was over the top happy <laughs> to be at that party. And so was I. Like, everybody was over the top. It was a very over the top episode. Um, you know, like even Rafi's tirade at the end mm. had that, that energy of, I'm on my last <laughs> possible, like, I, I, I'm just going to lose it here. And, uh, and, and then she sort of gave up. Mm. So there, there is definitely that energy every, we, like you said, with Sung and his car and his meltdown, Corey, poor Corey. <laughs> I just feel for her because I don't quite understand why she's never gone into that room before. <laughs> Or, or looked any of this up? Or I was going to say she's never Googled her father. I have a headcanon, <laughs> but we'll get to that. Okay. But it, it was a lot of horrible, horrible information mm. that just washed over her. And she has literally no, no one. She knows no other people other than her father. So she's 
she's yeah. trapped it's uh, and so i'm hoping that the borg queen reaches out to her <laughs> because i'm ridiculous but that's that's where i'm at no uh it's uh, that would be better yes i guess marginally maybe uh, this episode was absolutely ridiculous. I loved every minute of it. I don't think it was necessarily good, and it reinforces a lot of my complaints about the season overall, but it was a fun 38 minutes. This week and last week were very, very short. These two episodes that I call mm. a two-parter could easily have been a one-parter. Yeah. They could have been a one episode. They could have gotten rid of some things that were just sort of extra and it would have more of a through line. But I, you know, I'm, I'm at the point where I think that all of these Star Trek writers are required to write a, mm. you know, a one story season. So they are avoiding any kind of fluff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet, they don't have a they don't have a whole story or or they have too much. They're just not coming to the balance, I guess, is where I'm at. It's frustrating because we had stuff like rescuing the ice prisoners last week that was over in five minutes. And then that was such a short episode that it felt really insulting and tokenistic. And I just think obviously one of the beauties of streaming is that you don't have to fill a time slot and you can go over, but I feel like there's an expectation or there should be an expectation that you go for a minimum 44 minutes. And that would have given us just a little bit more time to breathe with the characters and maybe give Seven a perspective on how she feels without her Borg implants because Rafi is the only person who has said out loud what has been apparent all along, that Seven is enjoying life without them. Seven spoke maybe twice yeah episode. it was weird she wore a very nice dress but it felt like for the first time since seven of nine was introduced that jerry ryan was mainly there as eye candy yeah so it was it was strange i i just feel like somehow these two episodes are both too short and yet not enough happened yeah and it's weird but also fun. And I'm just sort of like, you know, whatever. <laughs> it is weird. I agree about the, the time because not only is it 38 minutes, but the 38 minutes includes the previously on and the opening right, credits. Right, and I counted. Which are both like minutes and minutes. I counted that <laughs> so... as three full minutes. This is like season one of Discovery where, where Pastor's prologue is randomly a really short episode. And that frustrated me at the time because I felt like we skipped over a lot of mirror universe world building. But the pacing of Lorca's reveal had to be done very carefully. I don't know that anything was so necessarily riding in the balance here. No, I and nothing was missing mm. from this episode. I that's what I mean. Sort of like the the party could have there could have been more party. Yeah. <laughs> there could have just been more fun. Mm. You know, more weird running around and doing funny things more seven mm. interacting with people a random cameo from dax <laughs> uh yeah i just think we needed more heist i am not a fan of 34 minutes earlier no. <laughs> type stories so that also felt like just extra like we don't need to see picard in a coma three or four times mm. we, we get it that was just the wrong kind of extra but again whatever <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
I let it go. This is like season four of Discovery. As much as I want to chop it up into little bits and rearrange it, I enjoyed the raw material. I had a lot of fun. Uh, we devoted like two minutes of this short episode to a full Pat Benatar karaoke, which I didn't think I'd be into. I saw in the preview that Agnes would be singing and I've been like cringing in advance all week. It was ridiculous, but it worked. It's not even the most hilarious thing that happened in this episode because then we had Picard getting run down by a Tesla, which I am failing to cope with in a dramatic way because that is hilarious. Tesla would have had to give approval for their logo to appear. Someone at Tesla went, ah oh, yes, this is exactly the promotion that our company needs. Mad scientist <laughs> running down the geriatric star of the show in order to, you know, ruin yeah. the world. Like, straight up ruin the world. Picard is so iconic and beloved of Tesla's target audience. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, it's so, it's so funny. <laughs> I should say, my boss has a Tesla and he has also been described by my friends and myself as having the aesthetic of a Marvel villain. Uh, I should say, I love my boss. I genuinely admire him as a person, but... I'm sorry that when you said it last week, I was like, yeah, okay, I get that. But this week, it was diabolical Marvel villain. It was absolute... Like, he monologued about how unfair his life is. Because he's forced to run over old men in his Tesla. That only happens in, in those MCU movies. It was amazing. He reminded me of multiple mm. Marvel villains, and I just started laughing. And that was a really great performance by Brent Spiner. Oh, yeah. I, I will give it to him, because he totally sold, I know I'm evil, but I have a good reason for yes. it. And being a little bit too far over it was a really good performance um i'm always making fun of him so i just needed to put that out there and it no it. i thought he was great this episode he had a real air of sad menace that i enjoyed and mm -hmm. i felt like in this case he was a match for isa briones yes right poor isa briones who has to play a character finding out that she's not who she thinks she is every single season it's a theme and and multiple characters yes yes <laughs> it's a tribute to her that these are not the same it's not the same performance absolutely i think that corey is actually a very like even just the way that she sits yes. is very different from soji and and so like she has a very different physicality corey seems much much younger which is appropriate because she is, like, Soji is also very young, and Issa Briones is only in her early 20s, but Corey feels like a teenager because she's so sheltered. Last week you were saying that no one in the world is aware of her existence, but we see her, she has a, a Surface book, she's a Windows person, so I'm very convinced that she has a rich and lively presence on the internet. And, for example, has written Twilight fanfiction in her past because she just really, really identified with Edward, okay? She, too, cannot go out in the sun, although not quite for the same reasons. She does not sparkle. She wishes. Yes. So, like, if you told me that the Borg Queen was going to reach out to Corey on social media as a friend and, like, catfish yes. her, I would... 
That's what I want. <laughs> That's literally what I want. I was looking at this episode and it, it sets up a lot of stuff and then it's like, what's gonna happen? You know, obviously we're going to have a lot of Picard backstory, mm. melodrama and psychological stuff going on. But we're, we also have the Borg Queen loose in Los <laughs> Angeles. And we have Corey now knowing her origin story. Yes. And those two, they feel like tectonic plates that are there. If they go up against each other, it would be a really amazing earthquake. And that's kind of what I want. I agree, especially because the Borg Queen is now embodied in Agnes, who is a decade or so older than Corey, but... If Corey has never had a friend, has never had a, a female friend, like I can see Corey really wanting that connection. And almost in the way that Soji reached out to Narek, Corey accepting that overture of friendship from the Agnes Queen, which is terrible. Obviously, I feel bad for Corey, but I'm, I can't wait to see it. I'm still rooting for the. <laughs> They're all actually good in the end. Ending. <laughs> no, I can I can see that. I think before we move on from Corey and her laptop, we were saying she's never Googled her father. My headcanon is that Sung has a very sophisticated piece of nanny software that guides her to only the most innocuous pages. So subtly that mm. if she wasn't already suspicious of him, she wouldn't have reason to think anything was being excluded it's that she's using his computer to get around that yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. she is having doubts about her father and none of the results she's getting on her own computer seem to give any any solution and then she realizes like where are his papers like you know academic papers get published you see ad abstracts where is all of the the really nitty-gritty stuff oh my god my dad has been censoring my internet this whole time i, I like that headcanon that's just another thing that i would have liked to see on screen because i really i get that it it was a expediency mm. thing but again you could have sent the 45 seconds it would take right. to add that and uh, and i it wouldn't have been so i it's it was just a little bit it was a little hard to swallow I was wondering, I was like, is she not actually as old as she seems? And she was just made, like Soji. you know, within a year, yeah. like Soji. And and so she's even younger mm. than she appears to be. It, it, like, you know, that's where my mind's been. So maybe that's what we're going towards. Maybe. But. Looking at the videos, it looked like Sung started creating clones in the 80s, just judging by the, the change in his glasses and hair. Mm -hmm. But... <sighs> This is, again, the Marvel thing. I have questions about the ability of technology at the time to do this. Like, 2024 in some ways seems a little too advanced from 2022. With mm. the ID bracelets and stuff, I can see that. Like, I can see someone out there is definitely working on that. I just don't know why people wouldn't have their IDs in their phones. I mean, but those ID bracelets do exist. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Okay, that's embarrassing. <laughs> It's like nonsense mm. but it's sort of like when the ipod first came yes. out it was whatever three hundred dollars and it was the same as a walkman mm. and so everyone's like why would you get that but now 
everyone has an yeah. iPhone that, or, you know, their, their phone will, will do the same thing. It's like, that's how you listen to music now. And so it's, it's one of those, it seems like a silly technology and it is a silly technology, but eventually it becomes ubiquitous. Mm. No, okay, I can definitely see that the wealthy elite who would have access to this gala... Right, exactly. ...or that this gala want that. is funded to such a degree that they can distribute those fancy bracelets to all of their attendees. Yeah. Right, and because it's very, like, ooh, it's space technology, oh, you know, and we're, we're the better people, we're, like, that's, they're a different echelon mm. than the rest of mm. us so can i just say i'm organizing a gala for work it's at the end of the month and if anyone so much as thinks about carrying out a heist i will be so mad also none of the guests are allowed to sing okay so when agnes started mm -hmm. singing that was when i said oh wow i haven't had this feeling about <laughs> a star trek character since esri dax mm -hmm. because 100% that is something that I would want to happen to me. Just the Borg Queen taking over and giving you a confidence Yeah, boost. just the Borg Queen allowing me to, like, have that completely ridiculous mm. show. Like, you know, put, put on a show. I, I just, I, I love Agnes for how much she wants to both let the Borg Queen mm. take her and, and give her this confidence and give her joy and also is completely against it and doesn't, you know, in is fighting it and I'm sure we'll see more of her yes. fighting it as we go forward. I, again, just super relate to that idea of I want to be powerful. Yes. But I don't want to be a villain. <laughs> But what if I was? <laughs> Would it be the worst thing? Like, you know, it's like, if all I do with my villainy is is sing and get a lot of applause, is that so wrong? Yeah, you know, yeah. That, that kind of stuff. Uh, not even the Borg Queen could get, could get me to sing in public, but that's just how my singing voice is. And I really enjoy the implication that the Borg Queen is secretly a theatre kid. Like, was she spending her time in France, like downloading Spotify and making a playlist. And I have questions. I still think that they're actually more, they've already mm. combined more than they thought they did. And that it is Agnes who is a theater kid. This makes perfect sense. I don't know if Pat Benatar is going to survive into the 24th century, but I'm willing to buy it. I think there's something deeply insidious about the Borg Queen's approach of Taking Agnes, who is depressive, and the key to the Borg Queen's takeover is endorphins. That is so unbelievably cruel. It's, it's just really, it's really, really <laughs> twisted. Yeah. It's, who came up with that, writers? No. That's just really dark, if you think about it too much. <laughs> Which is my favorite. No, kind it's of great. Thing. Renee's depression kind of doesn't really work for me. It feels like they're calling it depression, but it's actually anxiety, and that's fine. I also deal with anxiety, but it feels very on the nose and obvious in its depiction, in a very almost an after-school special way. Which is mm. no shade against the actors. I think they're doing a great job, and I well. 
I will say the actress playing Renee, her Australian accent keeps slipping out every now and then. And maybe no one else can hear that, but I hear it, honey. I hear it. Your vowels are flat. Anyway, but Agnes and the depiction of depression and anxiety in Agnes is so good that I feel like we're allowed to have the very obvious after-school portrayal of Renee because then we have Agnes with a much more subtle version of the same story. And then I think Yvette Picard next week, we're going to have a not subtle and probably quite offensive version of this story. I'm I'm very worried. (laughs) That's... I, I have said before, and I continue to be very, very worried about Yvette mm. Picard and her story. I don't like the suggestions of it in this episode. No, there is a vague implication that she might have some sort of schizophrenic disorder, you know, with paranoid delusions. and. A, I feel like that's something that 24th century medicine should be well on top of. But B, I just don't want to see that. I don't trust this show to do a good job with it. That's my mm. issue is that it ha- has it ever been done well? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't trust Star Trek Picard, who, you know, again, Sung ran over Picard <laughs> with a Tesla. <laughs> while Agnes was singing a Pat Benatar song. Oh, yes. I don't trust that they are going to do a well-plotted and presented schizophrenic, Mm. bipolar, dissociative disorder, any of those. None of it is, is good. No, no. I'm concerned. I sort of understand why they might want to. But yes, yeah, yeah. I, I just think it, it just it doesn't work for me on a world building level, if nothing else, because Bashir says in past tense that these mental illnesses are easily treated by his era. And I don't see why that would be different, you know, 50 or however many years earlier in Picard's childhood. But also, yeah. I, I don't trust this show to do it well, and I think that they should stick to their heists and time travel shenanigans and, you know, the character stuff and not try and be serious business about issues that affect real, real people. Like, members of their audience will have experience with whatever they're putting out, whatever they're dealing with. That's sort of how I feel about Corey as well. It's a bit of a cop-out that she has this fake fictional chronic disease it troubles me that it doesn't seem to be written with the experience of real life people who have major illnesses which keep them confined i think the bubble boy is the most sensationalist example but there are real people out there with obviously corey's situation is fictional but the treatment is something that people experience. Right, that's it. So just like we had concerns about them doing their ice story, yes. and we had concerns about, you know, I, I might now note here that I'm still not convinced Rafi actually has a plot mm-hmm. line of her own. On one hand, I appreciate Star Trek Picard trying to do these stories mm. because they are important stories. But on the other hand, there's a level of sensitivity that I don't see yes in the 
actual execution. And I think part of the problem is that these stories are being told in other media and in other television. So we're not purely dependent on Star Trek Picard or, or any Star Trek to get thoughtful and nuanced progressive stories. So Star Trek almost has an obligation to be extra thoughtful about it. And to be honest, like they had the whole pandemic to write this series, you know, season two was postponed. They had extra time to revise and I'm not convinced that they took it. Let's talk about Talon and Laris. Okay, if <laughs> we must. <laughs> I'm, I'm so no, negative. No. I had I really enjoyed this episode. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's definitely a fun way to spend some time. It's just that it doesn't hold up when we think about it. And regrettably, we are people who think about things. And so I, I enjoy Talon. I think Orla Brady is doing a great job. Even her accent was a bit better this week. I just don't think anything would change if Talon was played by Gates McFadden. Except it would be better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Again, I really like Orla Brady. I really like Laris. I really like her performance. I think she had a lot of nuance mm. this episode. I like that there are similarities and differences between Talon and Laris. I don't think they're I don't think there are enough or I don't think they're obvious mm. enough. I couldn't tell. This is my question for you because you can understand accents more than me. Was her Irish coming in sometimes? Yes. <laughs> and was it on purpose? <laughs> Those are my oh, questions. See, I have just assumed that Orla Brady is not good at American accents, which is fine. Lots of British and Irish but, accent well, actors aren't, but maybe it was intentional and it just felt like last week it, it seemed fake and this week it seemed like she was purposefully slipping. Mm. I don't know. I, I can't tell. No. That's that's what I'm saying. I can't tell. So I can't, I have don't understand what I'm supposed to be getting out of Talon and Laris other than there's this romance of the ages, <laughs> I guess, that we're supposed to believe in that I do mm. not. I just have a lot of trouble because we did not get no. this. When she was introduced, she was like at best caretaker, if not servant. <laughs> like she was a refugee that he rescued and gave a job and, and they, they're friends. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a father daughter kind of thing going on. That's how I read it. But not this romance. Mm. They came out of nowhere. We saw no buildup. I have a lot of trouble with their flirtation when she's not the same no. person, but he's treating her as the same person and expecting her to respond in the same way. And then she did. And I was like, I'm having problems. Mm. If it was Gates McFadden, we would at least have the history. Yes. We have the weight of that behind us to understand why Picard is treating her this way. Whereas with Laris and Talon, it just feels kind of sleazy. Picard, stop flirting with this lady who looks like someone you're into. <laughs> and yet she is like breaking all her rules for Yeah, him. why? So what is going on? I... 
hope that we learn more about this next week, that just as Talon ventures into Picard's mind and sees his soul, that something of her is also revealed and that perhaps she sees his memories of Laris and understands and maybe we will get some sort of explanation for why she looks like Laris. And I really hope it's not that Laris is literally immortal and has been posing as a Romulan ex-spy because I would hate that. I'm upset that she's going into his mind. We don't know Talon and we barely know Laris and so why is she the one who gets to go into Picard's right, mind? Right, this should be Raffi. Maybe even Seven. Yes. But mostly Raffi. Then, okay, if it was Raffi, then, then Raffi seeing Elnor and refusing to talk to Seven about it would also have a resolution. Yes. <laughs> like, I am very... Because, so, what I was saying, uh, you know, I'm not convinced that Raffi has her own plotline because the only thing that is happening with Raffi is she's she's hallucinating Elnor yeah. in various places. And, like, on one hand, like, that's a problem. Mm. She's, like, someone needs to know that Raffi is hallucinating Even Elnor. Even if it's just her grief, that is something that her team needs to know about so that they can Yeah, that they need to her. deal with. Yeah. And then the other issue is when it's in the same episode as Picard flashing back to his childhood and seeing zombie monsters, mm -hmm. I'm having this, okay, are we supposed to make this connection? Are we supposed to be having the two people who are seeing things that aren't there? Is there a connection between them? So is then Rafi's hallucinations are actually about Picard and not like I am I I don't know I'm not I don't know what I'm supposed to be paying attention to mm. and I feel very I'm paying attention to the wrong things because I'm trying to figure out which of the things I'm supposed to be paying attention to yeah and I have always assumed that Elnor's appearances are just Raffi's grief she's in that stage where you turn a corner and expect to see your lost person and it just reinforces that she's the only person mourning this young man they all cared for who died in front of them but now i'm starting to wonder just as the medical supplies appeared on la serena last week as if the time zones um the timelines are melting into one another maybe elnor is breaking through as they change the timeline Maybe. So that's, that's what I'm saying. What it is Eleanor really there? Is Eleanor just grief or is Eleanor connected to Picard in some way? Yeah. <laughs> and there's just too many things going on. Like it can also, it could even be connected to between Rafi and Seven. Cause you said earlier that Rafi is the only one who knows what's going on with Seven. Yeah. Although it's strange to me that said that Rios is, is having the same experience <laughs> having not been a Borg, but you know, you were saying that if she starts having her implants come back, that would be similar to Elnor yes. coming yes. through, right? So it's the same thing. So it feels like there's some kind of connection here that Rafi is the center of, but I don't feel confident that that's true because I'm used to Rafi being a second thought mm. <laughs> as, a, as a character, that she's moved around to say something about other people. Yeah, a lot of Rafi's story is about propping up other characters 
And last season, when she had an arc of her own, it was basically about her suffering. And this season, she barely has an arc, and it's mostly about how her girlfriend treats her like shit, but she loves her anyway. Or continuing to suffer because she lost another yes. son. So, so. Uh, Where's Beverly? made the remark that uh, Seven doesn't seem to like being in a relationship and maybe this season should just end with their mutual and loving and amicable breakup. And I so want to see that because nothing this season has made me change my mind about Seven being asexual and aromantic and just not liking the whole relationship thing. And the preview for next week, there was a, a scene, a very cute scene, where they actually have a conversation, like people who like each other, and that's still my conclusion, that this is not a relationship that should survive. It's weird to me that when Agnes was pushed by the Queen to kiss mm. Rios, it's like the first kiss we've yeah. had in years yeah. for Star Trek. I'm a little distraught. I feel like the last one was possibly Narek and Sochi. <laughs> so there's a problem. Mm. So yeah, it does really feel like relationships. And again, I really just feel like that we we skipped over all of the buildup. Rafi and Rios and Seven in this party scene, like this is again where I just wanted more party. I wanted more yeah. of this because they have this vibe where they're friends. Like, they're a true. Yeah. They're working together as three people. They, you know, we, I've been comparing it to leverage mm -hmm. constantly. Leverage is, uh, you know, there's five of them, but there's three who are the who are the trio, and that's the what I was getting out of Rafi and Rios and Seven, mm. and they weren't talking, but there was just this, they were so connected, and I was just like, I want that. Their show. body language was so comfortable. Why don't I get that yeah. show where they're all on Last Arena together, doing? <laughs> ranger stuff and and being awesome and then the physicality of Rafi and Rios because they're very yeah. close they call each other pet names they're like always touching mm. each other and so they would show Seven how to be in a relationship you know maybe she doesn't want to be in it but maybe she doesn't know how like, I just feel like there could be this bridge or even like we could have a intellectual and romantic relationship with seven but a physical relationship with each other you know like i was just going to say some sort of throuple arrangement seems to be in order because yeah there is more sexual and romantic chemistry and more flirting between ruffy and rios and again this is like with rios and teresa i love to see it but why is that not in the writing for seven and ruffy do they just not know how two women communicate? Have they never met queer women? But yeah, Ruffy, Rios and Seven as a trio or a romantic trio, I would be totally here for that. <laughs> Ruffy has two hands. I really love those characters and I love the way they interact. The Rios and Ruffy scene Rios was so ridiculous. I can't. I'm just. He's precious. He's he's you know uh, Tom Paris levels of excited to be here. Mm -hmm. They were so close, and they were they were. It was just a really mm -hmm. good. Like I fully believe their relationship, their friendship. Yeah. I believed it in the first season too. It was mm -hmm. one of my favorite parts of the first season, and so 
build on these things that are happening. It's also that Rios is the first person who ever checks in on Rafi's well-being, last season and now. And that kind of says something, A, about how she's perceived by the writers, and B, about how dear she is to Rios. My headcanon is that they used to hook up, but casually, and now she is in another relationship and he is just out of one. So they're both, you know, not really available to each other, but the, the friendship is always there. It's, again, my Lorca and Cornwell thing. Rios is a tourist in 2024, and that's why I don't think he's going to stay. I, I saw that was your theory. I can see why you would think that, but he is having fun with the food and the drink and the cigars and the matches. His scene with the matches was so cute, and I kept waiting for a security guard to tell him to put it out. But then... We're back in Therese's clinic and he's hit by the reality of this is a terrible time for most people, especially people who look like him and Rafi, but also that these are real people he's dealing with and the casual lies he tells Teresa have an impact on her. And that's why I don't think he's going to stay. I think, I still think it's open for Teresa and her kid to come with him, but you visit a country as a tourist and you have a lot of fun and you love it, it doesn't mean you want to live there. I don't necessarily think that he's going to stay, but it could happen. And it mm. would, could be a way of hauling the cast a yes. little. But the only reason I would really want him to stay is so Rafi gets to be captain of the Stargate. That's literally the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel confident that Picard is going to end up captain of the Stargazer by if not the end of this season, the beginning of the next season, mm. because it was his first command and so it would be his last command. And yeah. the same with like, they were always going to make strange new worlds. They built that, that set. set. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going somewhere. And it, it makes sense for it to be Picard and Rafi was his most recent first officer. Mm. And she is still a commander, unlike Rios, Rios. the captain. So I just feel like, that would make sense. Picard captaining the Stargazer, even if he's still an admiral, mm. and then um, Rafi as his XO, and then adventures happen, TNG send off, farewell, whatever, and we get the Stargazer show, but Rafi and Michelle Hurd are at the center of it. And like, I, I love Rios and I love mm -hmm. Santiago, but <laughs> the idea of Rafi and Michelle Hurd being captain of mm. a new star trek show would be I'd amazing into that yeah <laughs> i would enjoy that a lot i would really love to see raffi as a captain and a lead of a series i think what we're going to get in season four is a fleet of ships so we're going to have rios on the stargazer and probably raffi as his exo and the enterprise and other ships and whatever this fleet is doing picard is leading it the Armada. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's cool. I think we've never really had a multi-ship story explored in any... Be. Yeah. And it would make sense to me if Picard is very heavily based on the Stargazer or, like, going between the Stargazer and the Enterprise, which had better be captained by Worf with Esri as his exo. I'm just saying. However... Anyway, the point is, I do think we're going to get a Stargazer spin-off, but I think it's going to be led by Santiago Cabrera with Rafi as his first officer. 
and probably Elnor, maybe Soji, uh, Agnes, and who am I missing? There was seven. Seven. Seven is a maybe, because we know she doesn't like Starfleet, but I think she would be a recurring character. Mm-hmm. And Agnes and Soji are question marks to me. Mm-hmm. But presumably we would also get new characters. Right. And again, since Rafi and Rios were my favorite relationship of the first season, mm. I, like, I'm not against that. That's great. No. <laughs> I love that no. one. <laughs> I also think we have multiple Star Treks that are led by black women right now. So it would not trouble me if Rafi was the first officer. Mm-hmm. Especially because the captain-first officer relationship is so key to all right. Star Trek. I want to see her as, as a captain, but I do think that she's a really good first officer. Like, she's the right yeah. personality for that. Agreed. Whereas I wonder if she has the certainty to be a captain yet. Right. Here's your note. I still don't understand Q's endgame. Who does? I'm still going with he's being blackmailed and hoping Picard will save him. What is he doing? What is it? What are any of these people doing? What are any of them doing? I said in my photo cap for last week, I had that one moment where I had Seven ask, why is Q doing this? Which happens in like, she, yeah, that happens yeah. in the show. <laughs> that was a line from, from the show. She says, why is Q doing this? And Picard's like, why does Q do anything? That's not what matters. What matters is fixing it. And I, you know, said, well, I think what matters is that we're in first contact. This is like the exact same mm-hmm. plot of first contact. And we are the ones who brought the Borg here. Yes. Yes. The actual problem is that we brought the Borg and now they're going to take over. I <laughs> saw your photo cap and then I watched this episode and I remembered my theory early on that it's something that our Picard does, which triggers the creation of the Confederation. I still believe that, but I also believe that this is Q hoping that Picard will rescue him from something or other. Because Q doing all this because he's just a merry prankster is really weak source. That can't be true. It's definitely Q is doing this for reasons. And the reasons are probably personal. They're probably about him because Q is Q. Mm. But he, you know, he doesn't have his powers. He, there's something wrong with him, mm. as well as the universe. Not to misquote Beverly, but I just, I, I have no idea. Like, and Sung's again, Sung's motivations were stupid. <laughs> <laughs> they were Marvel villain level stupid. I, I uh, am on the record as saying, other than Loki, who I don't consider a villain. All Marvel villains are the worst part of their movie. <laughs> I will say I think that Sung is one of the better Marvel villains in that he's as motivated by love for his daughter as he is by ego, and I respect that. But also I think he might be the best father in the entire Sung family. I mean, it's a low bar. It's a very low bar. Like, even Sarek is looking at this family and going, father of the year, that's me. <laughs> It's rough, it's rough. But unlike most of the other songs, he actually stuck around to raise his children. That's true. Mm. That's true. You, mm. it, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. I will say, Eric <laughs> Sung at least tried to raise his children. So, like, points for that. In his monologue, which again was very well 
presented, mm. it became clear that as much as he loves Corey, he loves Corey because he made her. Yes. And because she's his and his legacy. And like, he doesn't, he's not doing this for altruistic, I'm saving my child reasons. It's, no, no. I am saving my life's work. And also, he is so attached to Corey because he cannot make another. Right. You know, she is the last one, so she has to survive, which is great. It's terrible. It's a fantastic metaphor for bad parenting, basically. So I'm into that. I just also, like, it's on the lower tier of things that I care about. (laughs) But weirdly still higher than Q. Yeah, look, Q, when he's not with Picard, is honestly kind of boring. Super boring. And I'm including the Voyager episodes in that. Yeah, it was too. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) My final thought before we wrap up, I think there is one reason that Orla Brady is better as Talon than Gates McFadden, and that, with no disrespect to Gates, it's because Orla is a better actress. Like, I think Gates is brilliant as Beverly Crusher. She is absolutely the person who could who, who is best as that character. But generally, she doesn't have an amazing range. And as an actress, mm-hmm. she's a great dancer. So mm-hmm. I don't doubt that she could play Talon, but I wonder if she would play Talon with as many layers as Orla Brady is giving her. I agree that Orla Brady is the better actress and mm. is honestly, a, she's really good. Yes, yes. I love all of the little things she does for all of these characters. I just feel I'm not, I don't have the foundation (laughs) that I need in order to want what is happening to happen between those two characters. I, I just, I don't know what it is. No, and I think it's partially because Like, I had a very strong idea of who Laris was last season. I wrote a bunch of Laris fic. And now, like, even as of episode one this season, I feel like this is not the character I thought she was. And we haven't had a chance to get to know her and to rebuild my assumptions about her. So that's really hard. And the other thing is, like, yes, Gates McFadden is not an amazing actor, but if Brent Spiner can come back a million times... Gates can have a second role. Like, it's not a problem. She is such a beloved figure that even if she was maybe not up to the job, and I don't even know if that's the case, maybe she would be great, but the audience would fill in the rest. Right. As soon as Talon started talking about her jury-rigged mind meld, which, Mm. how does she even know about that? But okay. It's because she was a Romulan. She's a Romulan the same way Gary Seven is a human. That's what I'm saying, is, like, there's this weird thing. She is still have all these Romulan things going on with her. But she's she's also, similarly to Corey, has been stuck in one place doing one thing Mm. for 24 years. And so I just don't get her. But is that, so when she started doing that, the jury-rigged mind meld, immediately my mind went to the episode Sarek, Yes. Where the card is overtaken by Sarek's emotions mm. and Beverly is the one who gets him through it. And so it's just that 
episode and that scene in that episode is always like so strong in my memories of Picard and Beverly and TNG that like Talon is in the way. Talon is taking over Beverly's part and I don't like her enough because yeah. I don't know who she is. If she was Laris, at least at least I would know who she is. Right, right. And Laris is not quite the character I thought she was, but we're, we're accustomed as fans to having fluid interpretations of a character, so we would adapt. Talon is new, and they're not treating her like she's new. Although I do hope that next week we learn more about her, and maybe enough to make that connection that we clearly need. So, yeah, it's, it's again, it's fine. They're all, everything's fine. Ag- just Agnes and Alison Pill and the hilarity between Agnes and the Queen, like, they were just so good mm-hmm. and so fun and so wicked <laughs> that <laughs> I, that's all I needed to enjoy this episode. I loved the scene between Renee and and Picard. Yes, in yes. The, the very quiet, like, let's just have two people alone in a room talking scene. That was beautiful. That was great. And it made Renee feel more like a character in a way that clearly she needed. And it's so hard to write an emotional scene between a young woman and a much older man who she doesn't know without having creepy overtones. And it was perfect. Picard hit exactly the right note of someone who knows about Renee but not being over familiar while also saying very personal and revealing things we have talked a lot of shit about this episode and that beautiful scene was followed by Picard being run down by a Tesla but that scene feels like it was beautiful yeah that was the heart of the episode and all of the other stuff the over the top stuff like Mm. it was allowed to be quiet Yes. Because everything else was so noisy. One thing that I I see people say about the MCU, and I think this is true, is that often it undercuts its own gravitas with a quip or, yeah, or something, a self-aware remark that reminds the audience that they don't have to take it too seriously. And Picard has done that a little this season, but they resisted the urge in that scene with Renee, and I think that's what made it great. Mm Mm-hmm. So if they can just trust that instinct more, then we're on course for an entertaining, if not very good, show. Is that not what Star Trek Picard is? Entertaining and not very good. I'm very invested in these characters anyway. It's a difference between Deep Space Nine and Voyager Mm. for me. Yes, In that, yes, I like Deep Space Nine... And I like the characters and I can even be invested in them, but it is it doesn't hit the same sweet spot that Voyager does, even though Voyager is, in comparison, the lesser show. Yes, yes. And it's also like you have to love the characters more to make up for the flaws in the writing. Yes. Whereas with Discovery, I think Discovery is a great show and I love the characters so much. I would die for Michael Burnham, but I do not write fic about her. And mm-hmm. since Kat died, I have not felt the urge to write fig about Discovery characters. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. Obviously, you know, I, I am fortunately not the majority in fandom. I signed up to write a, a fic 
about Star Trek and Leonard Cohen, or inspired by Leonard Cohen. And I've been thinking and thinking and thinking. I keep coming back to Picard characters because they're the saddest. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, like, they have that uh, um, melancholic, overdramatic things going on. And so I am more inspired by Picard Mm. and I think I've said this before I say it all the time that I watch terrible television and I enjoy it and it's like yeah I I like bad tv way more than I like anything that wins awards anything that's considered prestige Mm. you know I still love Game of Thrones (laughs) (laughs) despite it all I want to point out Game of Thrones was prestige television. It just wasn't actually very good. The thing is about Game of Thrones is that it was pretending to be prestige television Mm. and it was treated that way because they spent so much money on it and it was beautiful to look at. And then the the more you went on, you realized that it was always just a soap opera. (laughs) (laughs) That it was never that thing that they thought it was. So, yeah. I I love Picard, despite thinking that many things <laughs> could be better, and and being very very worried about next episode. One hundred percent. But like, I do love these characters. I want to hang out with them when they dispose of bodies and do heists. And basically, I think maybe I want leverage, but with the Picard characters and a bit more murder and violence than leverage had. So like that that's a sweet spot for me. <laughs> perfect yeah. television that's what that's what because they had they had their own little ship it was yeah, yeah. it was all set up it was ready seven had connections yeah. through the rangers so they could find the people who needed help it was there we, my show was there we could have had it all starfleet took over god damn starfleet <laughs> Thank you for listening to AntimatterPod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr, all at AntimatterPod, and write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us and tell your friends. Join us in two weeks, remember, two weeks, when we will be discussing the penultimate episodes of Star Trek Picard. 